Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Spotlight On is brought to you by Light, the technology platform reimagining e-commerce for live events. You can learn more about Light at light.com forward slash partnerships. That's L-Y-T-E dot com forward slash partnerships. Welcome to the final episode of season five, recorded with a live audience via Zoom. More on that in a second. We'll be taking a brief hiatus before starting Season 6, but watch our feed. We won't leave you hanging between now and the start of our new episodes. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening and enjoy our special season-ending episode with classical pianist, podcaster, and author Ji-Yoon Kim. So we spoke a little bit um, in the green room about uh, sort of what I think of as your philosophy of accessibility. Um, bringing classical music beyond sort of its traditions and conventions. Could you talk a little bit about the genesis of that philosophy for you and why it's important? Yeah, I mean, as a passionate lover of classical music, I, more and more I noticed my generation of, of people or friends or people I meet uh, don't know about that beauty. And uh, for me, classical music is rock and roll in my head. And so I wanted to uh, create that bridge. Unlike my grandmother's generation, their entertainment was, was the piano. I, I so wish I could go back 200 or 300 years ago where piano was this, the pop music of the world and pianist comes to town, they're so excited and everybody in the town would, would gather together and listen to that pianist. And so for them was that was a highlight of their entertainment. And now in the classical music, it's a farther and farther away, yet the beauty is still remains. So when I talk to a friend who is not uh, really classical music literate, and I would say, you know, I'm working on this piece. This piece, I don't know something about this piece really give me the heartache. I wonder what Brahms was talking about. I think uh, it, this piece really like touched me in this right, this right here, this section, listen to me. And I apply that, that piece and that person who doesn't matter who she or he will be like, Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. I never heard such thing like that. And then I realized, oh, they just never had experience of experiencing of classical music in the right way. Uh, maybe never really put them into that uh, place. They could, they could listen to classical music in the context. So I started to talk about music as a performer, what I feel about it personally, what's going through in my head before I play, and then share it. Then the result was, uh, was actually very, very surprising to me too, because a lot of people came to me and I never thought I would appreciate classical music as much as I did today. And then they become a fan of it. And for me, the music, classical music to me is... Um, gift 
for humane humanity. And uh, for me, my job is a messenger. I'm a like UPS delivery person uh, <laughs> that uh, because through me, through me performing this life, this music live, they can experience. Otherwise, this is remain black and white on the on the music. I'm a person who actually make the black and white become 3D. And so I can actually talk directly to the composer who lived 200 years ago. Then I become the cup for the music. And then person can experience that, drink that. And uh, they bypass me and get to their soul. And while they listen, maybe they're, they're talk, thinking about their, their own memory of childhood or their own you know, image or whatever they're going through in, in their head. It's a fourth dimension. We forget time. We forget this space. We're meeting in those, those fourth dimension. I think this is such a beautiful experience. Everybody should take advantage of it. And that's why I'm passionate about it because I feel like I'm given that mission um, to do. When did you first encounter the music and when did you first have some of those transcendent reactions that you're talking about? Mm. You know, I wish I could remember that, uh, but I think for me, uh, I was always the musical child, always like a singing a song, uh, love music, happy kid, I think. Um, and I also played flute when I was young and uh, piano was something, my playground, my oasis. And uh, when I decided to, what to do with my life, maybe about 12 years old or 10, or I don't know, in, in that time in Korea, I, I had to make a decision. Is this, is this something that I want to pursue? And when I think about that, there's no other possibility in my head but music. Um, and so piano is, is something, I don't know, piano chose me or I chose piano. So uh, that's how it got started. Of course, then throughout my life, the music through piano or, or even other through the music that taught me uh, how to live life or healed me and gave me a joy and peace. So it, for me, the music is something, um, it's my home. And I think it can be a home for many people. Or um, so I think <laughs> I don't know that music and me is like a best friend. <laughs> when you were starting out as a young child, uh, and you first sat down at the piano in a in a structured educational mm -hmm. way, taking mm -hmm. lessons, um, what did you encounter, and and how how has piano instruction? changed from when you were a child to now ha or has it has the philosophy or the approach changed or is it something that's sort of been stuck in amber and it's there's no real sort of innovation or evolution mm. I think uh, it's a lot of uh, struggles for sure. I think the struggles within and struggles from others, that struggle is we're living in a competitive uh, world. So the struggle was when I was young is, am I good enough? Am I, uh, how can, I love this music, but there is also, I'm living in a competition world and everybody play in, in that time in Korea, I remember everybody's, plays crazy Chopin etude, which is technically challenging piece. And so-and-so plays faster, so-and-so plays better. And 
in my mind, there's also a lot of negative voice that uh, created within me. Yet, in the in the in the lessons, one to one lessons, we talked about how music is divine. How I construct music such a way it's like a resembling nature music it's a part of the nature so when i think about rhythm it's never a metronomical and but more of just like a stream goes down the goes down the rock and it's just natural curvature how can we create the nature organic shape of phrasing and in my mind how can i create this phrasing most beautiful and organic way yet technically so clean so that I can stand out. And those two are in a way, not the same thing. And if it's, it's as if I wanted to talk about the message, I can think about is, is am I pronunciation? Okay. Am I having a Korean accent? Uh, I can't think about the, the other polishing way, but yet those things are also become important so there are a lot of struggles, I think, throughout my life as a pianist. What is more important? What is not as important? And of course, the theory, um, the, at the end, as I go through life, I realize the message is the most important, yet I cannot, I cannot like ditch the, the technique either. But the all other aspect is serves to express the message strongly, more strongly. Um, so it shaped my my uh, concept of music through the lesson and on, on my own. Uh, but a lot of it is soul searching through it and realizing how I connect with the audience. It's so much of con connecting with any other form, like, uh, like writing through the writing or through the conversation. I just have to be the um, genuine person who wants to connect with the composer and that that audience or with myself and that transparency through being a human, everything being vulnerable, expressed in music is so beautiful. So I try to remain humble and yet true to the art. And I ask questions to composure, I wish, but they only left to the score. So uh, often I ask, to the composer who's who's not here, invisible, but then is this what you want? Am I respecting you? And from that's the main message. And underneath that, how I feel about it. And that's actually just to become again a cup for it. And I try to be transparent cup. That's my um I guess theory of music for as a performing performer that I try as much as possible to respect the art just to, to transparent as possible so they people can experience this music as direct as possible. How far into your development as an artist um, did you feel, at what point did you become confident enough to have this philosophy, this, this, mm -hmm. this theory? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did it that spring fully formed? That's actually a very uh, good question in, in a way um, that as I don't know any other field, but classical musicians, especially someone like me, went through academia for a long time, masters and doctorate and another masters. It's easy to overshadow by the masters. The masters of teachers often are 
the uh, whatever other than their creating is garbage. And there's actually borderline abusive, a lot of a relationship that built that students never come out as independent musicians, never become their own. And it's difficult place it, when you're in school, especially that you want to learn, you want the constructive feedback, yet there is a voice keep growing within you from others and within saying, uh, you're not good enough. You're not yet there yet, never yet, never yet. And that I, I'm an advocate of not yet mindset, but yet at some point you have to become your on your own. And I think when I went through the doctorate, I was slowly kind of realizing that there's no distinction between students and become on my own artist. I just have to make a decision that this is, I'm going to do my, my own path. And I think slowly, luckily during my doctorate uh, period that I got to perform more outside of school, actually meeting real audiences who are not piano faculties, not piano students or not music majors. Then I realized the people are real audiences are not academia or the musicians. So I have to actually think what is real? What is reality? I, I can't live in the fantasy, although I used to love living in that fantasy world. Um, so for me, it was a conscious choice by having a lot more performances outside of the school. And, and then at some point I decided, okay, I think, you know, also my teacher, the last teacher I had in the doctorate degree, and she, uh, one time I play something and I asked, I'm not sure I'm playing this one correctly. I'm not sure my technique is good enough here. And she said, you play every note. You have everything. What else can you do? And some, somehow in that particular conversation liberated me that that's right. I have everything. There, there's some. There's more important. I have to focus, which is again the message, and uh, also throughout the school years, I learned more, much more about myself, which was very important. Who am I? What kind of personality I am? What kind of music that I I love, and how I interact with the audience, or how I play music is directly who I am. So then no one can be Jiung Kim. So I can be only be Jiung Kim. So I started to become Jiung Kim, not someone else that I admire, someone else I respect. And I respect them, but yet I wanted to find my own voice. And I think there was a slowly but conscious choice that I want to become on my own. So you talk about the voice and the message and... um the communication and connection. There, there's something in there I, I'd like to I'd like to look at for a minute. When I speak to other musicians, in particular, um, some of them talk about their tone on their mm -hmm. instrument as being mm -hmm. very unique to them. Mm -hmm. Others talk about maybe the it's the nature of the music. Maybe they play improvisational mm -hmm. music, so that's how they're able to express mm -hmm. you know their unique thing. Mm -hmm. How does a classical pianist <laughs> come across in 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 a realm where so much of what is to be done is on the page? Right. And is there room for improvisation, or how how do you shine through versus if someone equally proficient <laughs> and sensitive sat down and played? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, you know, 
the thing is, it it is true that I'm playing the same piece that millions and jillions of people are playing, maybe same tempo, same maybe beautiful phrasing. But uh, it, it for me is a treasure hunting. And each day, you know, the way I play now is dramatically different than the way I play 20 years ago. So who am I to keep evolving, hopefully to the better direction and maturing? So I, the first of mostly I have to open-minded in curiosity that I will be always changing. So there is something that to be discovered. And, and secondly, I think the way I approach maybe the tone of my voice is tone of my piano is different than someone else play. So that already the tone, the way I massage the piano is already, it can be my voice. Another thing is that I think if, if there's anything that I, I find myself uh, is somewhat gifted is that I can connect. So when I play a piece of music, let's say there's a four major phrasing going on and I found that particular two notes, there is some melancholy sadness rushed over my feeling that two notes and I felt it. And I tried to create that moment of adding that sadness in my tone, in my expression, that the other pianist will just, "Ah, this is just two notes passing through. So then I have to be so open about what is going on here and uh, express that two notes in a very, in a, you know, in my own way without adding so much of color, but so, but I express my sadness through it. And when I listen to same musical piece that performed by another pianist, sometimes I surprise, oh, oh, wow, he and she, uh, thinks that is happy there. Oh, I see. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or someone just go through it without even noticing all the treasures that I found. And I, I feel sometimes violated, like, hmm, there's, there's like at least 10 you missed there. Um, or sometimes they, someone is so good at creating a, a, a structural plane so that you can see the sketch of the pieces so clear and loud. And then for me is, is uh, I think I can, my, my strength, you know, I think in my performance, if I can say objectively, is that creating a structure, but then in the moment of beauty of nuances, each note that, that speak uh, more, I don't know, like a pronounced, or the, each note has some meaning to it. And uh, so when you go, I, I purposely go to the same performance, the same piece played by 100 people, because I'm curious, I am curious how this person gonna uh, uh, interpret differently, or what did he find it in that, in that score. Um, so then uh, I, I sometimes like, learn from it and yet like learn about that particular pianist ah he's very analytical person i can see um that oh so and so is very uh humoristic you know i i like that when someone is is you know very emotional and you know all of this different you're learning about that person as a performer as a person through their performance and that's really really interesting and I think the people come to the live performance of classical music to just to be heard again that beautiful piece of music interpreted by that particular pianist 
you you you've said something earlier and it's a phrase i've heard used often which is technically challenging <laughs> and i wonder did all of the most well-known composers perform their pieces like was was chopin an amazing pianist or an amazing composer or both or were did they not have to perform the pieces that they wrote and they were just <laughs> theories yeah, uh, no. Uh, interestingly, a lot of amazing composers happen to be a pianist. Not always, though. Um, but I think when th when there are uh, amazing composers and at the same time pianists, it's it's rather convenient for them to perform it. But yet, there's a, someone like Liszt who is amazing pianist. I think that he was actually better pianist than composer. So when he actually composed some pieces that it's so much flash and all, and I feel like, oh, is, this, is it necessary? Or it's just like showing off his technique only, you know? Uh, and I think that that distinction between uh, composer and pianist performer was less uh, at the back in the day, but more and more, you know, I see that as, if it, there is definitely a role that great pianist would interpret your piece better than you can. And uh, if we are a composer, so that they, they kind of they separate the role a little bit more. Um, but I uh, certainly at the back in the day, uh, especially if there's no printer and there's no distribution and someone has to play that piece to distribute their music they wrote. And it's so easier for them to just premiere their piece. And um, it's, it's just easier that way, but not all composers were that way. So uh, they have a good pianist friends. <laughs> <laughs> And who is, um, you know, I've read your book, so I may, I may have a guess as the answer here, but I'm, I, I'd like, I'd like to hear directly from you. <laughs> who is your, who's your pinnacle as a composer? Mm. Uh, that's actually not an easy question, I have to say, because um, for me, whatever I'm working on currently it's on my pinnacle uh, because that's where I'm most giving a love and attention. And um, sometimes it's not the composer, but that particular piece that I love and any other thing that he composes is not really my favorite. Uh, of course, Beethoven, whatever he does is like a, I bow down and he's like a master of a master. Uh, personally, I connect a lot with Schumann's piano music. <clears throat> So every time I play Schumann, I feel connected. And so as uh, Schubert uh, and Debussy. So if I have to ch choose three, it will be Schumann, Schubert, and Debussy. Debussy particular is about imp impressionistic painting. I create a color and uh, there's a particular piece that I play sometimes it's called Pagodas. And it just, the mood of the piece creates you're in Asia. You're just in the temple in Korea. And it's not individual note make, doesn't make sense, but as a brush stroke of a one note going up is creating the mist in the, in the mountain. And I love that kind of expression that Debussy can create so much mood by just creating a sound. And I have to ask Debussy, have you ever been to Korea yet? <laughs> How could you bring my childhood through the just stroke of the notes, you know? So I love creating that magic uh, use the genius of Debussy on piano. Wow. I, I find that most 
well, I mean, this is a very unscientific sample, but uh, pianists often say Chopin and then music sort of knowledgeable music people often just say, oh, well, Bach. I mean, that's <laughs> that's as though like that's the pinnacle of Western civilization. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's all been downhill since Bach. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you you said that um, you said that Beethoven's a master. <laughs> and, you know, what does the word master mean in in sort of a lowercase m as well as, a, <laughs> as well as an uppercase m? Is there a master musician and what makes oh. a master musician? Mm. I think it, it's actually an interesting question. Um, for me, Beethoven is... I can see it as he's the gift of humanity. And, uh, you know, despite of all his, his struggle, he lost, lost his hearing or his personal uh, difficulties in his, in his life, he left a gift to the humanity. And he was a servant. Uh, he, he needed to exist in that time of era to create that music. And I think when I think about the master of of whoever a composer or musicians i feel like they all serve a purpose of humanity and and uh, a servant of the art and and sometimes i don't actually want to hear about their personal lives because <laughs> they, they sometimes i go how come they're actually crazy they're do you know did you know that so and so was schizophrenic and like, i know i know let's not go there let's just look at their music and what that music does to you and and for me all of those masters are uh, in some ways when i play like learn some notes from beethoven like how in the world he could think about this particular harmony or this particular way of traditioning. And like, it, he's the, the master of a mathematics and master of uh, science and all of philosophies all combined and create it. So just beauty. If I can recreate, wanted to recreate something like that without learning about mathematics and science and philosophy or all of this, but he was just, a musician who can create that and reflect every part of our huma humanity that is combined into the high art form. And it's in some ways that I find it like, oh, he's definitely uh, left from descendant from the heaven and just wanted to spread this to, to us, to us to appreciate, you know? And, and I, I feel like I, I can be that, but I can appreciate. I'm laughing because uh, the answer was not that there's some objective measure or that there's some uh, there's some there's some specific achievement that you check off and now you're you get handed your master robe or mm -hmm. your master scepter. Um, mm -hmm. It's the totality of yeah. the achievement right. and the capability. Right. I think for me, when I get a master's degree, <laughs> this is funny, uh, is that I learned the most by realizing how little I know. So that was good realization that after I go through everything I could possibly go through in academia, one thing I learned is I don't know, <laughs> which was very revelation. And I felt like very humble and, oh, I see, even if 
I went through everything. I'm a doctor of you know, music and piano performance is a reputable university. If I feel like I don't know much at all, that's a good place to be. Now I can actually proudly not know <laughs> and continue seeking, continue uh, looking for something, continue uh, actually being a learner of lifelong learner and being uh, continuously being a student that a uh, to try to find out something and, you know, uh, finding a treasure. And it's okay for not knowing. It's okay to be uh, human. As a way to, um, to transition a bit into talking about some of your work and projects, um, I'm curious as to, you know, we, we started off by talking about sort of notions of accessibility around <laughs> classical music and maybe people being intimidated about the canon or where to start or what the ways in are. And I wonder what are, what are some of the obstacles that you identified that needed to be addressed that were separating the music from the audience? Mm, I think definitely a formality of it uh, or assumption that a lot of a classical music presenters to pre presenters would think that this one has to be uh, presented uh, in a very formal, in, in other words, 40 minutes of recital, which means performers come out to the stage, play something for 40 minutes, and there's intermission, 15 minutes, and there's another 45 minutes of music. Performers never really interact with the audience. There's a program note talking about the historical background of the music. People come out to the concert in very formal attire, um, something that you know, they assume they would know something about Chopin. They assume that they will in, immediately, they will love about this classical music without knowing anything, that kind of formality. And so as audiences that who never experienced classical music thinking, oh, that's not for me, that's boring. That's only for like, you know, PBS, you know, all those assumptions that that's not going to be for them. And also like shy away from uh, actually experiencing it in, in a real way. I even it's a CD or album format. I asked, per, I actually create a manual of the album saying, if you're going to listen to my CD once and never again, this is how I want you to experience, which is spare an hour from your life, have a headphone and read what I wrote about each piece and close your eyes and dive into an experience, not as a background while you drive, not as background while you cook. So I feel like everything is start as assumption that our audience as a not like, this is not going to be for me. It's going to be difficult. This is going to be too stuffy, too boring, whatever the assumption they have. Presenters come from, I have to keep the tradition of classical music, which is, you know, it's their concert goers, who is a lot of older generation. They, they, they tend to like this Beethoven sonatas, you know, number four, five, six, you know, in a row. And all those repertoire selections are very much geared towards the audience that already going to a classical concert and they're neglecting this pool of audiences that 
never listen to classical music other than a soundtrack of movie, if it happened to be, uh, or, you know, some kind of like a background music. So I find that it's a lot of a traditions or an assumption. And in the midst of it, we lose this beauty of classical music. So I come along with more of a younger generation looking <laughs> and saying, you know what? I'm so crazy about classical music. And they're like, oh, really? What about it? You know? And I talk about it. You know, I play this Rachmaninoff and this piece is like, and then I actually perform and feel like they're, oh, maybe there's something to it. They're, if they become curious, then that's my job done. You know, and a lot of people actually call me as a gateway drug to classical music. And I, I love the quote. I, in a way, that's, that serves my mission. And if you actually open the door of classical music through me or just to happen to be and dive into some other field of classical music because of the introduction that you got through me. And I think that's, that's really meaningful for me. Yeah. And so... I suppose that takes us directly into the podcast that you um, that you created. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what was the genesis of that project, and where does it fit into your life as, you know, a, a, a stage performer versus, mm -hmm. you know, a, a podcast? Like, how do you how do you is it the same person? Oh, it is definitely the same person. Uh, interesting that you ask is the same person. And uh, a lot of times that I struggle um, as a performer, like I wish I was born in 1800. So all I had to do is playing piano and perform perhaps, or maybe compose. But now I'm an agent of myself, I'm marketing, I'm doing all these things, and, and I'm podcaster, I'm doing YouTube, I'm actually, you know, to social media, and, and I feel like, oh, I wish I could just play piano. But at the same time, I realize, you know, this is in the modern world that I live in, the, the, its most powerful message that I can give is me talking directly as a performer. I can have an agent to talk about me. And I have other people to talk about what I'm going to do. But when I talk, I found that it's the most direct, most contagious and powerful. And when I talk about, think about one time, I actually was an interview, uh, interviewee uh, as a guest in one podcast. And I would talk about what I do and whatnot. And afterwards, I was thinking in my head, oh that was kind of fun what if I had on my own podcast <gasps> you know and it, it became a game for me and I actually brushed that off that idea for many times maybe like a million times like no I don't have time like well I don't even know how to do it you know like where do I start but then that idea keep coming back to my head like it would be fun isn't it like you always loved radio it's that something very analog about this conversation just only voice it's very much in line with the classical music yeah no you know it's black and white a little bit more and I and I finally gave up gave in to my thoughts and like okay you know what I'm gonna try it and you know before anything I'm gonna create a title hmm maybe Journey through classical piano. I like that. Okay, let's go to it. And I created, I went to this 
99 design or something website that you can create a contest. The contest is that creating the best cover design for your podcast. And I could write a description and I had so much fun with creating my own competition for my podcast. And there are a lot of people submitting and it became a sort of game for me, a, you know, playground in my world with a mission. And in my life formula, in generally speaking, is that have a meaning and also have fun. Did I have fun in the process? Did I help anybody in the process? If the answer is yes, is there more to do it? That is a, a definition of success for me. And so through that uh, uh, podcast, what I wanted to do is become who I am as performer, as if I talk on the stage. On the stage, I talk very poetically. I talk maybe three or four sentences about what I'm going to play. I don't really talk deeply about, you know, really discussion about that particular piece I'm going to play because I find that talking part is part of the performance. And I think more maybe than how I'm going to play about what I'm going to say so that it's a succinct uh, kind of experience. So in the podcast, I have a little bit more freedom and still talk about, you know, in this piece is really te technically challenging, but in this particular piece that I find that this moment I found the treasure, listen for it. And I go dive into it a little bit more. And then I share my own performances. And this is it's a, like a miniature version, candy version of you coming to my, my concert, which is limited only to the people who can come to in live concert in person. And I, and I podcast is much more broad. And um, you know, some people in Indonesia might be able to listen. And I love that idea. I'm reaching out to the world with, with the same mission that I have as a performer, as a pianist, and, and do that. Can you describe uh, can you describe the book? Tell me what your tell the audience what your book is I was going to say about, <laughs> but what is the mission of your book? Mm. Uh, it's called Whenever You're Ready. That came from 30 seconds before I go on a stage. There's always stage manager waiting for my cue and saying, whenever you're ready holding that stage door to the stage. And that very moment, I ask myself, am I ready? Um, in that very moment, I have to create so much courage and strength within and telling myself, yes, you are enough. You have this to share with the world. People are out there. It's excited to see you, hear you. I'm grateful. Just go out with the smile and enjoy this concert as, as if this is the last concert of your life. Mm. And I make a decision to walk to the stage. A lot of people think being a concert pianist is all about, you know, practicing piano and mastering the instrument. But a lot of it, it's a lot to do is mind training, mind games of how to create that connection, how with, within yourself, with others, how to create the dreaming muscles within you, 
how to take care of your body, how to, what, how the meditation helps for the music creating, and how actually creating a system that I can actually consistently practice, and creating a habit and demystifying the talent. <laughs> I'm so talented, and I laugh. <laughs> Only if you see how much I work. So I, I in this written book concert, which I have five movements, by the way. And within this written journey, I wanted to walk through the my life tools that get to a point that whenever someone asks me, stage manager, whenever you're ready, and I can finally say with a smile, yes. That from that 30 seconds is all my life pre- preparation to get to that point. And I realized what I do in the behind the scene in my green room, it's so much in line with preparing for life. And I advocate that I'm not the only one who has a stage. Everyone has a stage called life. And I wanted to create a book, which is, again, very intimate relationship that you built when you read you can actually have an inner dialogue with authors. I love that relationship that you can build, internal dialogue you can have. And I wanted to go in deeper into my life and into my thought processes and help someone that maybe you are, want to learn a language, maybe you wanted to take up a hobby or whatever you wanted to do is that moment of you actually have to make the first step that inspiration, that motivation, that courage, that I wanted to give that glimpse of that. And as as if I'm your friend, not as someone master, but more like, you know, I struggle with this, but this was really helpful. When you listen through to with a friend, it's something light about it. And maybe, you know, many of the tools that I'm, I talk in the book, heard of in the past, but because the perspective of who I am or as, as a concert pianist or as a friend or as a fellow human or fellow soldier in this life, and you may pick up one or two tools that is really helpful for your life and ultimately step forward to classical music because there's intermissions in the book that I talk about actually classical music. And that's kind of reverse version of concert because I talk, I don't talk about classical music except that two pages of intermission, which I direct people to go to my podcast, uh, listen to it. And uh, that's the, their rest stop where you can take a break and listen to classical music. Mm. Well, rather than ask you sort of pointed questions and tear apart the manuscript, I thought maybe I could just say a few words to you that represent some concepts you talk about in the book, and maybe then you could elaborate on what some of these words mean to you. Um, One of them from, uh, from early on in the book is the notion of process. Could you talk about what process means to you? Mm. You know, uh, for me, a lot of people would think that concert day is a destination. That's why I practice. But I've learned that concert day is a rest stop. For me, process is a goal. I actually don't want to have the destination done. Now, my goal is keep doing the act that I love doing continuously doing so then 
the process, the daily day process of practicing is my goal. And the, in the, in the performance, it's a joyful, it's celebration. But then I long for go back again, the process of finding treasure each day. If I were running a marathon, if the marathon is my goal, but I think when I look back on what I did with the marathon, I think I would, I would be remembering the day that I had, had a hard time to wake up, but then I woke up and feeling of sunrise and feeling of foot, my touching the ground, all of daily day of the running or daily day of you know, creating music it's a beautiful thing. This is my my reasoning and my passion, the uh, goal of my life. So that process become uh, is is the formula, and I don't. I really don't want to have a goal and the ending destination, but try to be be in the moment, be present, and actually continue doing the work that I love. And what role do monsters play in that? <laughs> uh, yeah we all have a monster we do um you know like i think being a performer it's it's anybody who actually in front of the uh, public would relate to the monster in your head the monster is um talking to you often taking a big nap like don't talk to me often it's just like you know somewhere there but I don't see it but when I start to perform you wake up from the long nap and start to chat oh there's difficult section coming up oh you made that mistake well, how stupid or all of these negative voices it's not outside but it's gener- generated from your within and I I have to struggle so much. Like, who is this? Is this me? Is this, who is this monster? And I, that's why I gave an identity who as a monster who we all have, which is a negative voice generated within. So then I had to learn how to tame this monster. I know for sure this monster is not going to go away, but I know how to tame it so that I can live peace with it. Uh, and the one of the, tools that I do is a journaling and writing process. And I actually write out all, every negative voices onto the paper and actually look at it objectively, where this voice is coming from. Is this a voice from my childhood? Someone in the, in the friend who actually said that? Or is that parents? Is that, you know, what is that is coming from? I try to analyze as much as possible. And also five defense uh, sentences, why this sentence is so untrue and silly. And I, I give like one to five ratio. And then, uh, and then after that, I really keep writing about self-affirmation sentences. And every time I think of some negative voices and I try to think about positive five sentences right away, you know, like covering up this negative voices. If I, I find that if I keep giving a food to the monster, monster will keep growing, growing, growing. But there's definitely a block, unfortunate fortunate part about it for me is there's angel in me too the angel will say it's okay you know like this is this is fine all those angelic voices are also part of me but I realized who I am is not 
angel nor monster. I'm an observer of these two. And when I perform, angel voice is also distracting. It's because it's, it's not about music. I want to focus on music while they're having this conversation. So I want that conversation to be as automatic as possible. And so I can concentrate on the music. So only way, oh, the daily training that I do with this dealing with monster is exactly that. I write it out, uh, all the positive affirmations and visualize my performance as positive, as detailed, as idyllic as possible, up to a point that someone asks me whenever you're ready. Not about actual performance, but actual preparation to that, to on the day of a visualization, like I wake up in the seven o'clock in the morning, I feel great. I'm going to eat a smoothie, feels great. You know, all those little nitty greedy uh, kind of like details that I write it out, visualize the best day and also write a positive affirmation sentences and how this music means to me, why I do this. And, you know, and so I keep, keep reading and keep writing and as of now, I have, I, I think I trained my monster pretty well. If my monster acting up during the performance, I would be surprised. Like, oh, that monster is a newborn baby. I never heard this before. And the next day, next, I will work on that monster again. And what is that voice came from? And uh, I, I want to have the help of Angel to defend this, this as much as possible. So. Well, I just, uh, before I continue with my questions, I just want to remind everybody that if anybody would like to ask a question or is thinking they want to um, remind you that you can use the, the tool within Zoom to raise your hand. Um, and if you don't know how to do that, you could feel free to just send me a message through Zoom and I'll keep an eye on the chat and I'll ask the question as well. Um, what is the role of play in your sort of practice and philosophy? Mm, I think... We all have inner child who wants to play. And some people might say someone is more creative than not, but I disagree. I think we all have inner child needs to be played. And uh, more creative we are, I feel like I feel more alive and connected to the universe. So for me, play means um, have fun, making mistakes, be curious, be open, and just laugh if things not going in the way that I hope it goes. And it's a daily practice of it too, because it's not like one day I wake up and I'm going to be creative, but it's more of actually letting, letting some inner child play in a very small way to like, oh, I'm going to go to grocery store, but I'm going to take different route today. It's not an efficient way, but it will be different. And I go that way, you know, and like, oh, what if, what if I just don't do anything, just daydream, like sit down in a bench and do nothing. And, and that, that at void of nothingness, something come alive. And I think that everything is that the being, a, being creative, being encouraging the inner child doesn't come with... Uh, judgmental voice, which I love. I think that creative self wants to have fun in the process. And when I do all of these things, what I do with the, with what is it, the drive and want to get better 
But at the same time, there's room for me to just have fun and be messy and be um, making mistake and, and laugh about it. And I think that's really important for me. And especially as an artist, when I play certain passages, may not be as most polished way, but I have to be messy in order to find those treasure moments. I have to just play some crazy way to find, oh, that actually is kind of fun. And then I may, I may be able to dial, dial out. And even for, for, for my book, writing a book was something I listened to my inner child. If I listen, not listen to inner child, my monster <laughs> would overpower this child and say, you're not a native speaker. You're a pianist. You're not an author. What, 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 why would you think that you have things to say? All of this monster will overpower my child. But if I just let my child lead me, then like, oh, that would be super fun. I think I'm going to make a book like a concert. I'm going to have a five movements. Oh, intermission. Oh, my gosh, brilliant. You know, all of these little <laughs> ideas. It's like a game. And, and then it's this game become a book. And I share this, this what I even the creating a, of a cover of it. And I, I want some, some like um, the, the piano keys on the cover uh, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. So in, and also that, you know, title, whenever you're ready, I like that whenever you're ready, I do, you know, like that's it. That is a voice of my inner child. It's not like a serious June, like Dr. Kim's talking. It's, it's me actually listening to my inner child wants to play yet wants to play with the mission who is the, the more of you know adult Jiyun is guiding it but it's in the really messy open playground uh, of my life when are you Dr. Kim when I'm <laughs> oh interesting uh, yes I am Dr. Kim um, when I teach my 13 years old student who's going to major in piano and uh, I say, I wear that hat sometimes and say, you know, because they're not sure yet, they're not serious enough about music, serious about perseverance. And I, I, I wear that hat sometimes, not all the time. I still sometimes goofy and have fun with them. But I say, you know, you have to go through this like life and death. You have to commit. There's no like, oh yeah, let's see how it goes. No, you actually have to commit to it. You know, so I teach them, and as much as I I have fun, as much as I lighten up about it, I'm very dead serious about this. I dead serious about this, uh, making this music as beautiful as possible. You have to be serious about this creating art as respectful as possible. And so that's, that's where I become Dr. Kim sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about, if you will, uh, tell me about feeling and connection. Hmm. Uh, I think as a human being, we are meant to be connected. Otherwise, uh, life would lose a meaning or we, we will feel, feel uh, deserted. And I think that the connection is, is a, about everything. Uh, and the reason the art is so connected to us as a core soul is that 
we can just connect without having to say anything. You just can listen to a music and just, just feel it and just connect to the universe, which is another human being, can be another human being lived into 100 years ago or the human being who's not born yet. You just feel like you're connected. And I think it is the connection is um, creating that who, who we are. And for me, it's a connection comes from knowing uh, myself, that I have to connect with myself first in order to connect with others. So I emphasize with myself that <clears throat> learning to myself and how to be in term with myself. If I, if I am in tune with what I say, what I do, what I think is the same, that's a good relationship that I have with myself. Mm. And I also, uh, I know when I feel, feel mm, unhappy or uh, tired or frustrated, I know what are the things that makes me happy. I know what are the things that makes me wake up from the bed. What are the things I, I have to have all these like life tools that to, to in tune with myself. And then uh, when I talk to other person, and, you know, a lot of times that connection with others is, is choice. Uh, you know, just, just you can talk to any other person and say, you know, you're thinking other things. Oh, what am I going to do? Eat, eat breakfast, you know, and still have a conversation. But you, it's your choice that really want to connect with that person. Be in with that in that connection. And I think that is, it's becomes you make you probably will be more happier when you connect it deeply with someone for me it is so then when I give a concert too and I suggest people when is the last time you had a heartache and if I talk about the heartache in the piece think about the heartache moment or someone is having going through the difficult time and what would that difficult time would be? You can never know, but you can actually, we all have those difficult times in our lives and try to connect. This, this person is going through that pain right now that I know that pain in, in with my experience and tune into that way, you know, the empathy and try to connect. And, and I think that's, that's a beautiful thing that we can all lift each other in, in this, this, this life we call and, and it's it's easier sometimes that someone else actually help you to move forward. And when you are in tune with yourself, yet connected with others, and want to connect, and through the empathy and I and love, and it's life is easier. I think without all of this, it's already life is full of struggles. But when you try to connect, and I think that it gives you a little bit of lift when you need it every now and then. Thank you. Well, we have a question. Uh, hold on one sec. Let me. Hello. Hey, Hi. Hi. This has been amazing. Thank you. And I love everything you just said about connection and empathy. I am curious to learn more about the beautiful piano behind you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, a lot of people ask me if I actually name my piano and I tempted to do that, but I, I actually do, did don't name my piano. This is my piano, but it's he, it's, it's somehow for me is a male. Um, this is the 
three years old baby uh, I selected in New York uh, is Daiwei factory. This is the model B. And uh, um, when I select this baby, you know, and there's like 10 different pianos and I play one piece, like maybe a minute each piano and one minute and one minute and one minute and one minute and go through 10 and I close the lead immediately at least seven of them which is not for me so then after a piece of that one through the one piece there's three candidate left and I play another piece like this this a little bit and this a little bit and that little bit and this baby stood up like you are the one <laughs> you are for me and I said to that that Steinway factory and said this is the one and, it, and they said that was the fastest choice ever made in their, in their history of selecting pianos. I think it was actually within 10 minutes. And, and I was like, well, that's it. <laughs> I was like, but oftentimes selecting piano takes sometimes months or, or a year up to. And they're like, oh, no, I don't do it. But I, for, for me, it was very instinctive. And, and right now it's a three years old, which means a uh, prime condition, prime of prime, because a year of the uh, piano's life is it's you're just get out of the baby, newborn baby. You're just like speaking words, but not really speaking clearly. And, and so up to this point, I'm massaging every day. My piano technician come almost every month and I'm monitoring the condition of piano. Like today you're speaking this way, uh, you're a little bit, you know? So uh, at this point, I find it is just, it's just like a prime of their life. And it will continue be like this and maturing for five years or so. And uh, after that, I, I'm planning to have a piano like this uh, for every 10 years I, I plan to change. So a lot of concert stage, they change piano every five years or so because of the, this, you know, as much as this beautiful piano as it is, uh, it's it, it, piano value goes down as we play. And now it's, a, you know, initially no, but it's a, when you hit the top, it goes down. Um, so uh, I, I'm just love with this piano right now. It's in its best condition and it's a centerpiece of my, my place. That actually segs into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, but I actually, I have a, another question about the piano. Uh -huh. um, where do, where will that piano go at the end of the 10 years? Oh, yeah. So sometimes for me, I think there will be the people in lineup in the in, in my in my room to to get the, the receiver of this, this um, adopting this baby <laughs> because of how I take care of it. So for me, this piano, it will be OK for I'm hopefully OK for the next life of the next family. But a lot of times concert stays pianos. Uh, donate that piano to some organization, you know, a nonprofit organization. Um, and often, you know, if you're not concert pianist, the people have owned that one piano in their lifetime and which, you know, could make one person very happy for their lifetime and which is perfectly fine. And um, a lot of times the pianos, you know, 
50 years old or 100 years old and still uh, sometimes at that point the uh, inside is completely remodeled but outside is intact often the old, old antique pianos have that you know because in, in inside of the hammers are all that is still is too old but uh, you can still maintain the shape of the beauty of that you know 100 years ago the wood the quality and change it up but i i think at the end i saw some uh the bookshelf piano, <laughs> you know, like, you know, they, you know, they, you can, it's beautiful. Piano is so beautiful instrument. The shape of the curvature, they ma- maintain the contour, make a couch out of it. I don't know, but I hope that p- piano can be used in some way of shape until they, uh, until their, their life. Will you be buried in your piano? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I want to be spread into the universe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have some more questions for you, but I see that some other folks um, have questions. So let me uh, let me ask Craig to unmute himself and ask his question. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us and sharing everything today. Uh, my question. I found it very interesting that you were uh, talking about how when you're performing a piece uh, that you're, you're trying to like do service or do justice to the original uh, composer. And I'm curious how much um, interpretation, you know, of a piece comes into, into, into that play, you know, because you could play a, a piece faster or slower or more aggressively or, or more quiet, but how do you feel like that interpretation comes into play with, with uh, that idea of you trying to do service to the original composer? Mm. I think it comes from knowing that person. Like if I know, let's say Beethoven is like my friend, I know his temper, I know what he likes and he tends to do this. And I just know as a person and from that, based on that information is coming from reading about it, listen to other genre of his music, chamber music, orchestra, uh, other violin pieces. And then I got to know him. And then when I interpret his new music of this piano music, I just know that if I do this, I'm violating him. <laughs> uh, or, uh, but So I know my boundary. But from that boundary, again, is from the research and knowing his musical tendencies and, and from there, there's still like my, my playground is huge within that boundary. And so oftentimes when I teach, uh, students take too much liberal interpretation. Like there's just you slow down some the end of a phrasing. There's no retardando in the, in the phrasing. And I say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, uh, is you're violating, you're, cry, you're committing crime here. And they're like, well, that's how I feel about it. And I said, hmm, that's, that's a, there's a really fine line. You can still close the phrase without violating. If you feel like that's, the music is calling for closing, which is your interpretation, you can still do that so many other ways without committing <laughs> or interfering with the composer's intention. And so when I talk about interpretation is that, uh, again, when I said about who I am as a person, I, I emphasize certain 
certain sections of the piece because I feel them more strongly and a certain color change that I feel is so, so strongly without really violating what is already written. And it feels a lot of times people would think that it's really based on this boxed in, but actually this box is huge. I can do whatever I want within that. And that's coming, that's coming from, knowing that person, knowing this composer and knowing that freedom. And uh, from that freedom, I think you, you can still be yourself as much as you can. And that's what, that's how I really have fun with the pieces that, oh, I, I you know, this, this is still going to be me interpreting Beethoven, but it's going to be still Beethoven. But it's 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 inevitable. It's coming through me because in me I'm 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 not Beethoven's you know ghost playing it. Beethoven's gonna play completely different than I do, which is totally interesting. And but it will be still Beethoven. It won't be Jiun Kim music. So uh, it's it's a fine line. I know it's hard to say right now. But each piece bring a piece of music and that's where discussion comes from that's where like ooh, you know like like there's certain pianists definitely i feel like they're violating so much and i i feel offended as if, as if i'm a lawyer or, or you know personal representation of that composer i feel like oh no that's like that he would not like that you know so uh Without being too scholarly, I think there's definitely a lot of room, more than you think, that I respect composers and still interpret as much as you want as who you are. Um, another question came to me through the chat, but I'm going to go first with my question because I have the microphone, so I get to do that. <laughs> um, I'm curious if you've ever played a piece um, in front of the composer, in front of a living composer. Oh, uh, I did. It's not a living. No, it is the living composer, uh, John Williams. I actually did uh, play his cello music. It's from Lincoln, I think the the movie. But this was actually chamber music that John Williams in the presence of me playing his music and uh he luckily he was sick in the rehearsal so he had, had nothing to say about about what about what we were doing um so he, only thing he said like he enjoyed it uh, but it was nerve-wracking in a way like am i am i not violating it, it was actually harder i actually yeah. much rather composer not in the presence and of course i play some uh, composers living composer pieces and then i can actually have a, have a conversation but i find that actual real conversation is not as helpful as you think I actually much rather have my inner dialogue and knowing this person as, as a score reading and knowing their life and all that. It's actually a deeper relationship than someone actually gave me a piece and let's talk about this piece. And then like, I can have all the conversation, but I, I feel that that's less of freedom in some ways. Yeah. Do you, um, uh, do you, do you often encounter modern music from living composers like how how do how does the audience how should the audience think about that is is this music something that's continuing to evolve or is it something that is an established canon that's fixed in time mm -hmm. um i think the beauty of 
uh, the high classic music, like you, you know, you, as you said, Bach is the, the, the pinnacle of it and everything else is downhill, or the Beethoven going to the spaceship, you know, music, or uh, that beauty is timeless. That's no question about it. Somehow, some way, the reason that Einstein is Einstein, you know, something about that time era, the people were just, just like, just crazy. <laughs> they just could do that kind of a creation. And that we, we will enjoy even 100 or 200, 500 years from now, I think that we will still enjoy. <clears throat> but just said that, having just said that, still there's a living composer who's living right now and creating something and something about it is it's very different I would say you know uh it's it's different kind of modern clothing and I feel like I'm I much rather wear this like 300 years old clothing than the modern clothing but I try to uh wear this it's it's if this this is like a new clothing that maybe I am closed mind about it so I have to keep open-minded myself that there might be something to that that I can connect and I try to connect. And uh, not all the contemporary uh, composers that I can connect, but there's a, some certain uh, music that I feel like, oh, that's very interesting. For example, they're, they're interpreting some sound of waves and uh, collaborating the, the huge screen with the wave moving and with the sound coming through three dimensions and sound coming from back and all of this music, new music actually created in this modern era that with the possibility of you, you couldn't do 300 years ago is very interesting and contemporary and love it. Uh, so there's definitely room for us to be open-minded yet appreciating the beauty from the old and you know for me actually unfortunately the balance will be 90 percent to 10 percent the 10 percent of a contemporary music continuously open-minded and trying but yet for me when i say classical music is i'm talking about those high the form of the music that we should spread to the alien in the other world as well <laughs> You, oh, actually, before I ask any more questions there, uh, we do have somebody else. Connor, you want to unmute yourself and ask? Sure. Thank, thanks for joining. Uh, earlier, you were talking about, you know, uh, when someone listens to your music for the first time, that they can just carve out an hour and dedicate that time uh, to your music. And just as you've refined kind of your unique style, I was just wondering, is there a state that, that you're hoping someone can be in during that time or, or a sentiment that you're mm -hmm. hoping to express to them when they, when they have that moment? Oh, Yeah. I think it is uh, intention of carve out an hour is already enough. And from there, I don't want to force anything more than that. If you want to connect only with the music, with the headphone, close your eyes. I think the music will take you somewhere that the particular music might take you. All of a sudden you think about your childhood, you play a, a soccer with your friend and why I'm thinking about that, I don't know, but I'm thinking that and it's okay. And all of a sudden in that stage that you think, uh, uh, try to connect that music and you feel some kind of sensation with the music, it can be, oh, this is fun. And then that is good too. And I think it's the best, that's best state of music is open and welcome everything. And when I, the best, uh, my favorite moment of a meditation when I do meditation is the moment that 
you know, sometimes you let go and follow your thoughts. That thought is one thought and another thought and another thought. And it's really interesting, like, oh, I have like at least 20 thoughts at the same time kind of thing. And I think the music, if you try to tune in again, like try to connect to the music at the very moment, you who is you still, but you're not in control, will take you somewhere and follow that, that person. And then, you know, and try to go deeper into that thought. And the music is only like five minutes. It's you have to wake up from it. So then you wake up and you're kind of lingering to that thought and enjoy that the music took you there. And which is beautiful thing. And because not always you will go there, but the music brought you there, that memory or that feeling. And I think that's what I want you to go. That's not, I don't know what you're going to feel, but that's, that's beautiful thing. And I'm excited for that journey for you but I'm not there. You are there. Well, we're, we're nearing the end of our, our time together. And um, I had two final questions I thought I could ask you. One uh, goes back to when we were talking about your piano um, and also from the book. Could you talk a little bit about um, the environment you've created? We talked a little bit about it off, off mic before, before the <laughs> conversation, but um <laughs> Could you tie that back into what sort of environmental design, mm -hmm. I guess you will, that, that notion you have in the book? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a pianist, each piano has a personality and people might think this is the thing, but to me, it's a living thing. I have a conversation. So within, with this, this kind of connection that I create with the thing, which is the dead or maybe furniture looking, but it's a living thing, it taught me how to create a connection with the thing, environment around us, this pencil, this computer, this desk, everything. And I wanted to create, uh, not all the time, but as much as possible as as minimal as possible for if you, if I can turn a little bit in my space, there's nothing but piano. There's no dining table. <laughs> there's no comfy uh, table or couch or anything. Uh, but it's a focal point of my life is I design this particular environment. When I walk through this space that I reminded what my focus of my life is, which is this piano. And in that void of open space, I can be creative. I can think of, of some new ideas. You know, there's reason I'm sure Steve Jobs that wear same t-shirt and shirt <laughs> all the time. There's simplicity about it. And that simple, simple place that you can allow to think some other ideas and I think it's, it's so, I can never wear the same clothing every day. So I can never be in that minimalistic approach. But I love the concept of Marie Kondo, which is the advocate of a minimalistic approach in the concept of a principle of it. Principle is that is this thing gives you a joy? Is this thing, is this a focal point of your life? And if this piano is, is a focal point of my life, I want my design of my space also reflect that. And when I first, uh, you know, lived in and moved in in this space, I made a conscious choice to do that. So that this place has a chameleon kind of possibility. If I want this, con this space to have 
a little concert, if 30 people in it, I can have it because I have the open space. If I want just to lie down in the, in the floor and just think about nothing, I can do that too. And I wish for everybody to design the space. If you want to play more guitar, put the guitar in the focal point of your space, nothing else, then they're more likely you will go to the guitar because it's a reminder every single day. And I think we all can try harder to find what is important to you and design your space to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that that's actually a beautiful notion to leave on. So um, thank you so much for making time to talk to us. Thank you so much. This was a very interesting conversation and I hope that it gave some, some new perspective to, to listeners and open up and hopefully meet me through podcast or my book as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm.